This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. New Orleans is celebrated across the country and around the world as a center of extraordinary live entertainment. Not just in the French Quarter, but all over the city, there's a vast amount of live music, theater, and comedy every night of the year. However, inside what appears to be a thriving local entertainment industry, you frequently hear the same criticism. We have a lot of entertainment, but not much industry. Plenty of shows, but not enough show business. Bill Taylor is setting out to change that. Bill is the executive director of the Trombone Shorty Foundation and the foundation's Fredman Music Business Institute in partnership with Tulane University. Bill, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. Chris True is a New Orleans comedian and a comedy entrepreneur. Chris is the creator of the nationwide Air Sex World Championships and the co-creator of the Hell Yes Fest Comedy Festival and the co-founder of the New Movement with comedy theaters in Austin and New Orleans. Chris, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hey, everybody. Bill, the knock against the New Orleans music scene by critical insiders is that we have great musicians, but we don't have the business side of the music business down, like Nashville or Austin. We don't have record labels or big music publishers. All we've got is live gigs. But now that the music industry is changing, you have to wonder if New Orleans isn't actually ahead of the curve. Record labels are dying. People are increasingly listening to music on subscription services, which pay musicians very little for recorded music. Playing live is now about the only way to make money in the music business right now. By default, does this make New Orleans the uh, actual industry leader? Well, I think it offers an opportunity for us to take a much larger leadership role in the uh, in the music business world, um, I think that you know arguably should have happened uh, a long time ago, given the talent that comes out of this city, and uh, it all starts with education. So one of the things that we're trying to do is, while our great musicians are still young and still you know open to learning about different elements of music and the music business, is to really give them the tools to change that paradigm here in the city and, uh, Thank you. and to start positioning New Orleans as more of a, a, of a music business hub, such as an Austin or an L.A. <coughs> or a Nashville. There are, there are many other examples. I think it's time that we, uh, uh, and there's an opportunity for us to do that. Now, these are high school kids, right? Yeah, we, we work uh, with high school kids. We're also um, about to start doing some work uh, with the professional musicians in the city and uh, it's teaching some entrepreneurial skills because it all, any musician here in New Orleans really is running their own business. I mean, it really comes down to that. And the success of, you know, those bands and those artists 
um, is dependent in large part due to their education on the music business. So I think there's some fundamental skills that have not traditionally been passed down or have been taught here in the city, and uh, that's something that we're directly addressing and hoping to see a, uh, see a big change here in the, in the upcoming years as far as New Orleans as a music business um, place. Now, when you say business, are we talking at these classes, are they, is it finance and accounting, or is it more like teaching them to think like a business person? Or? It's all of it. I mean, it comes down, we, we teach skills in recording, you know, what, what happens in the studio, what goes into putting on a live performance, uh, booking a tour, marketing your band. Um, there's a whole wide range of kind of fundamental skills that any businessman or woman, you know, needs to kind of be aware of if they are going to achieve success, and that certainly applies to the music business industry. And but it's got to, we got to think about like I guess how to define success. I mean, one of the one of the things here is that these musicians may think a big turnout's a success, but you're you're getting them to look at the other side of the ledger, right? So did they did they make a profit on this? Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, I think there's a um, you know there there's a huge demand all over the world for the natural musical talent that comes out of the city. You know, there's tremendous opportunities and, you know, there's examples of New Orleans musicians that have been able to kind of break through to the next level and been able to be very successful touring nationally, internationally. Um, Troy Trombone Shorty, uh, you know, has, has achieved that. He is on his way to, you know, really becoming an international star. And there's some lessons to be learned from his personal journey um, and there's some, you know, some plenty of cautionary tales out there of, you know, what not to do. Um, I think the talent here, we all know we have that. We have that, you know, coming out of, coming out of our eyeballs. But uh, I think there is, you know, with that talent, there should be also, you know, those skills, those entrepreneurial skills also need to be taught. And, and you're doing it, and that is, that is terrific. Now, Chris, comedians are typically outsiders. Uh, the best-known, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce, and even the most successful new guys, Seinfeld, Colbert, don't seem like the kind of guys who would run a business. Uh, you're a comedian and an extraordinarily clever and funny guy, if I may interject my personal opinion here. Um, <laughs> and you're also an entrepreneur. You own two comedy theaters. You run a relatively complex multi-venue comedy festival each year uh, here in Austin. And AirSex is a national brand with a surprisingly big following. How do you juggle the unique demands of being a comedian and the team-leading, delegating aspect of running multiple businesses? Well, I, I, well thank you for being sweet. First of all, but also I, I I think it just comes from from wanting to do from going to so many festivals and going to so many other cities and doing comedy and then thinking that there's a better way to to pull off these events. There's a better way to produce shows and you know going to going to a festival and saying oh I wish they treated the comedians better or I wish that they you know I wish that they would do X Y Z whatever and then and then just getting to a point where it was like. You know, I, I want to make I want to make comedy in my life, and I want to just exclusively do this. I don't want to work a job that I don't that my heart's not in at all. So to make it work for me, I I started just getting involved in the business side of comedy, and it wasn't that difficult because I think I just kind of had a, a knack for it uh, and, and self-taught in a lot of ways. But um, but I, I think the the main answer is just doing enough shows in enough situations that I wasn't personally happy with, and thinking. Uh, they've got all the other people like me. I'm going to build a festival. I'm going to build a theater. I'm going to build an event for someone who's like me. And so that's what I did. 
And you're, you, when I've seen you, you've been uh, in an improv uh, kind of setting. Is that mainly uh, your side of comedy? Is there, do you break it up to kind of like stand-up versus improv? Or? I, I, I personally dabble across the board. I think that that's kind of the, the, the new comedian uh, these days is someone who does everything. Like they have an improv background. They can write sketch. They are in short films. They're an actor. They can do stand-up. So a little yeah. bit of everything. That's funny because sometimes you'll see a comedian uh, do acting, but you'll really see an actor be able to turn around and then go into comedy. That yeah. must be the tougher of the two, right? Comedy is scary, especially doing stand-up comedy because that's oh. one person on a you stage. You and a mic and a, and a microphone. Or what, yeah. And people listening to you say things that, that like, like, this is one way to react to it. You're laughing or you're not. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> it's... crickets, right? But how have you done things like, and you'll, I mentioned this twice, so we're going to have to discuss it, is the air sex competition. First of all, what is that? And I'm, I'm holding my breath as a as Sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it, it, at its core, it's a comedy show. That's what it is. But it's, 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 it started as a parody of the air guitar championship. Oh, yes. Now I Okay. So the air guitar. That's something Bill could relate to. This. Air guitar is just people playing an invisible guitar. And, uh, and someone yeah. made that into a touring show. And it kind of was like a... It kind of is a satire, like uh, of, of of I guess music in general. But it, it got a nice little following. The idea watched people pantomime playing guitar. We did a parody of it called Air Sex, where it was the same thing except replacing playing music with making love. <laughs> so just an invisible partner. Now, is it raunchy? At times, yes. But ultimately, it's a comedy show, and so we, you know, it's it, and there's no nudity. There's no, um, you know, it's it's just it's just a comedy show where everyone's doing the same routine. They're showing you how they would how they would make <laughs> so love, <to> speak. <laughs> right? Uh, but but I'm very lucky because that 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 show has had some has had some 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 nice success. Like that's I I've toured the country yes. many times doing that show. Now, Bill, let me ask <laughs> you. The, um, I think of what what Chris has done and and trying to set up goals and expectations. How do you manage expectations for these young people? Uh, uh, what, what, what's realistic for them? How do, you, how do you get them thinking that way? So well, a lot of the students that we work with, for example, they come out of public schools. Um, more often than not, they're school marching bands. So, which we're very good at. So here's a which are amazing. So, which yeah. are amazing, and the talent that you know comes out of those out of those uh, local marching bands is is I mean it's the best in the world. But there, as far as their musical kind of horizon, that's what they've seen and that's what they know. So the next step for many of these kids would be okay. Well, we want to start our own brass bands because a lot of the brass bands, the Rebirth and Go Down the Line, the Hot Eight, all formed out of their high school marching bands. So that's kind of their sort of the scope that what w- what their perspective is, you know, a- as high school kids here in New Orleans. So by exposing them to a other forms of music, to you know professional musicians that have achieved success, and then you throw the business side in. So we bring in lawyers, you know, we bring in um, managers, booking agents, to give them a wider. Um, kind of breadth of information, at which point what happens oftentimes is you see a spark lit where they start to identify themselves as part of this amazing cultural legacy, right? And when that happens, when they realize that they're a part of something much bigger than themselves and bigger than anything they could have ever really imagined, then they start to really kind of catch fire. And you can see 
the opportunities and their sort of what their what they see as their opportunities that starts to grow. That that's very similar to what. Um, to, to what the new movement is doing with our training center because we don't we're not just a building where people can show up and uh buy a ticket and watch a show it's also a place where people who are interested in developing a, a you know developing their comedy can go and take improv classes take sketch comedy writing classes and part of what i would say a large part of what the new movement does is is make that entire process of getting on a stage and learning from all the experiences as easy as possible. Because back in the day in New Orleans, when I first started doing comedy, I would have to rent a venue myself. I would have to, I had to print my own flyers. I would have to have my own door guy, sound guy. Basically, there's, there's all these things between me and my art. And that's difficult. And I'm, I'm either going to... Um, well, I'm, I'm your average person well, yeah. is either going to give up because cause, cause this is a lot of work or they'll fight through but it'll it'll be a crummy production and every now and then there is you know someone kind of pull it off but historically in New Orleans comedy wise the people who could pull it off left they moved to Chicago LA or New York they had to go and do yeah and also because people who were just a dynamite talent who had no producer blood in them they would think like why would I stay in a city like New Orleans where I gotta do all the work I'm gonna go to Chicago where I can just get into Second City or Improv Olympic and then just go through their system. So what we're doing here is we're basically creating, we're, we're, we're creating a, you know, a Second City-ish thing here where someone can, like now what happens is someone, they're the funny person in their group of friends or they've always wanted to pursue comedy or they just want to try a new hobby out because um, their job involves communications in some way or whatever. They come and take uh, some improv classes and they get to show up every week, same time, same place, take improv classes, get on stage, do stuff, and then cut to several months later, they get an opportunity to join a performing group. And now they're in a spot where the venue is taking care of everything. The new movement isn't going to make you have to get a door person, a sound person. They're going to they're gonna host a show for you. They're not going to charge you rent. And they're going to put you on stage and give you an audience. You know, we opened about two and a half years ago, uh, doing like three shows a week. And cut to now, and we have seven shows a week well no, we have i'm sorry we have 10 shows a week uh in three different venues including our own and there's probably you know it's some weekends there's 50 different people who are on stage doing comedy and that's that's never happened in new orleans before and people aren't moving that's the key people aren't leaving talented to, ones are staying talented people are staying here because because I, I, well, I think a lot of it has to do with just the city being what it is, people wanting to be, do it here, which is awesome. But I think, and I'm very proud of this, I think another part of it is, I think there are people who are scared to leave because something amazing is going to happen for us here. That's like, exactly you, how I feel. And, and it's kind of feeling, it's, it's kind of feeling like the comedy scene is like, is about to, about to, about to blow up. Um, in many ways it has, but, but someone who, calls New Orleans home and who calls comedy their life is going to is going to be successful in a way that's going to shine a big bright light on New Orleans and then everyone's going to be and we're, we will all benefit from it because because a lot of comedians and performers here especially ones of the new movement we all have a common a common um, you know a, a, something in common we all call the new movement home. right that's where we are every weekend practicing rehearsing taking classes or performing shows so and Chris I think of you as the, as the funny man but there's <coughs> you've done something very serious and uh, very successfully and that is you've uh, 
you, you had a Kickstarter program. Tell us about what, what went on there. So we got an opportunity to open up a new theater on St. Claude Avenue, because currently we're in the middle of the Maroney Triangle, surrounded by houses and apartments. So they're not the most happy with us because the more popular we get, the more people parking laugh is a loud problem. And they're they're laughing loud. Yes. They're leaving the theater. <laughs> they're screaming about how much fun they had in Burgundy Street. Um, but we found a spot on St. Claude, which is a similar size theater that we have now, but we have twice as much rehearsal space, classroom space, studio space, a patio out back. We're going to be on St. Claude Avenue, which if that, if that street continues to develop as it, as it has been, that's going to be the place. I mean, it already kind of is the place to be if you're going to go see live entertainment and, and not, in the, not in the quarter. And, and so we're, we're thrilled to get to be a part of that. But we, we were in a situation where we had to we had to raise a lot of money really fast. So we, we, we put a lot of work into a very uh, thorough Kickstarter campaign where we just outlined the whole thing. And, um, and part of it was, part of the mission was that if we were successful, Tammy and I, my wife who co-owns the theater with me, we were gonna do our show, uh, which is one of the more popular shows at the theater. We're gonna do our show weekly and free forever. Um, and so, uh, so we did it. So now when we open up our new theater, Tammy and I are gonna do a weekly show and, and just make it free forever to, to just keep comedy accessible and specifically improv, keeping improv accessible to people who think that they don't like it or who want to, you know, who, who want to give it a shot. And Chris, I mean, how much money did you have to raise? Oh, uh, we raised 50 grand. Whoa. Wow. It was the, it was the largest comedy theater Kickstarter of all time. This is the time when we do the checklist. It's part of the show where we take a little break and ask you a quick question you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. And I'm going to ask you each a question here that, uh, I'll start with Chris and just say, what, what were your career plans early on and when you were you know, in high school or college or whatever? Well, I, the first thing that I wanted to do was I, I wanted to be an actor when I was young. And then I, I think I took my first acting class somewhere, some UNO summer camp type of thing, and I was super not into it. And I was like, I guess I'm, I'm going to do advertising and marketing. And so I kind of got on that tip for a while. I thought I was going to be in the NBA for a, uh, yeah. for a few years. Right. But I didn't make my high school basketball team. Oh, that, that'll so, hold you up. Yeah, that, that, that was a, a minor roadblock. I think Michael Jordan had problems <laughs> at that stage. You can overcome that. Yeah. So, uh, but I, as soon as I started discovering, as soon as I discovered what was possible with comedy early in, my, in college, I, I checked out. I checked out of college and just started doing comedy. <laughs> And Bill, let me ask you a question that people are probably thinking at home. Uh-huh. Do you play a musical instrument? I don't. That's so I great. don't. I, you know, what, what, what got me into all this was radio, actually. I went to journalism school. Uh, I was on an on-air programmer at WWOZ for 10 years. That's right. And growing up, I used to, like, in my room, I used to, like, ha- ha- you know, host my own radio shows. I listened to the radio all the time in Philadelphia. Yeah. And that was really kind of what I always, what always attracted me, and you know, down here with just this unbelievable mix of you know the, the sort of embarrassment of riches, music-wise. It was like when I first visited New Orleans, I said I want to be in New Orleans and I want to be in radio. And I kept listening to WWOZ, and you know, coming from the Philadelphia area, there's some great radio up there, but I'd never heard anything <laughs> like this. And I, at the time, I was living in San Francisco, and I, w- I went back after Jazz Fest. I was like a changed person. And I just kept hounding WWOZ. I said, I want to come work there. I wanna, and eventually, <laughs> they gave me like the night shift. That's how I got on WWNL. There just, you uh, go. Just keep hounding these yeah, people. Yeah, I just a- relentlessly, <laughs> I would not take no for an answer. And the next thing I knew, I was moving to New Orleans, and I was on WWOZ. You know what I like about today's lunch is that you get the feeling that you're building the base in comedy and music that's going to last a long time here in New Orleans for everybody. 
Hopefully. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, Hopefully. Pretty and, terrific. You know, he, he mentioned something, I, and I, I've seen this too, is that the excitement going on here in the city right now, um, it, is, it is palpable. And there is that feeling that we are really, we're in the right place at the right time, being in New Orleans right Absolutely. now. And I, I can't really pinpoint what that is. You know, you look around, you see the city growing, you see the economy starting to really kick back in. The recovery, I think it's the spirit of the people. Yeah. You know, what, what has happened here since Katrina is amazing. Um, I mean, talk about, you know, picking ourselves up. I think the soul of the city, the passion the people here have, uh, it's really gotten us through. And not just gotten us through, we're, we're at this point now, I think because we've all bonded through that heartbreaking situation, it's like the strength we have as a community is, uh, I think we believe it, we can do anything, which is very cool. I, I, I do. <laughs> I do. And, it's, and, I, and I think from a music standpoint, I see this in Troy for sure. <coughs> He's not limited by, by anything. Yeah, and that's what we're hoping to pass on. You know, Don't be limited. You're from New Orleans. You're from the greatest musical city in the world. <laughs> and Soon go, to be the greatest go, comedy place in the world, too, apparently. Yes. Let's it's going to so, work. Yes. Bill Taylor, Chris True, nobody would disagree that New Orleans is the home of extraordinary creativity. If we can marry that talent to the business skills required for getting everybody in the creative community paid what they deserve, every musician and performer in the country won't want to move here. That's a daunting thought. But for the artists and audiences already here, Thanks for everything you're doing, and, and thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. The, uh, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Bill Taylor. He's a program director for the uh, Fredman Music Business Institute, and comedian Chris True, co-founder of The New Movement. You can find out more about Bill's music business and Chris's comedy enterprises by following the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer. Today is Chris Keogh. The formidable Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and www.no.org. Uh, support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Lupa Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.